The rise of AI large language models like ChatGPT has raised questions about the future of work, the nature of consciousness, and the danger of an AI apocalypse. Our guest today is Aaron Eby, a software developer and a writer and translator for First Fruits of Zion. And he's optimistic about the way AI tools will change the way we interact with the biblical text and other Jewish sources. Put your hand in mine together. We will walk in harmony. Let me introduce you to my teacher. Rabbi from the Galilee. Messiah Podcast is brought to you by First Fruits of Zion, reconciling disciples with God's prophetic promises to Israel. Well, welcome back to Messiah Podcast, where Jesus is Jewish and that changes everything. I'm here with producer and co host of Messiah Podcast, Stephanie Hammond. What's up, Steph? Hey, Jacob. Tell me what we're talking about today. I don't know if you've had the chance to uh, interact with ChatGPT or any of the, the the Bing one or like any of these these chatbots, these new AI chatbots. Yeah, only on a really basic level. My husband's really into this stuff because he's the tech guy, Yeah, but he keeps talking about it. So I, I downloaded a free one on my phone. It was interesting. I don't really know that it's about to change the world or anything, but I suppose our guest today will speak more to that. Yes. Yeah, I think these things are creepy, but maybe our guest today can alleviate my concerns. <laughs> Me too. We've got our very own Aaron Eby, and I would call him an AI optimist. I like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's definitely not like a doomsayer. He doesn't think this thing is going to kill us all. But um, I, I want to know why he thinks that, because I'm not. I would like to know that too. Well, Aaron has talked about how even his like Torah study, his Bible study, has been enhanced by these tools. And that's that's something that I think we all should know about because we could all use some help uh, studying that old Bible. And he'll explain to us why it's not going to kill us all. All this and more uh, coming right up on Messiah Podcast. Well, Aaron Eby, welcome back to Messiah Podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for taking the time out of your schedule. I know you got a lot on your plate. You're a you're a writer. You're a translator. You know a lot about halacha, a lot about Jewish law, and I guess you're a computer guy too. You know what do you do? Web development, programming, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. In fact, that's what I always thought I would be doing with my life. When I was little, my dad and I did not play catch with a baseball. Instead, we he brought home a computer from work and we learned how to what? how to program it. <laughs> that was my uh -huh. thing. <laughs> That's cool, man. I see both of those things in my son's future for oh, sure. Yeah. Not with me. Right. <laughs> my husband bringing home computers to fix. Absolutely. Behind the scenes here, the, the listeners don't know this, but behind the scenes, um, you and, and Dan and I and, and, and several others have been talking about artificial intelligence, and you're the one who seems to know the most about it. It seems to be like a something that's, that's really piqued your interest. Yeah, no, I've always been interested, you know, like in high school or or before that, you know, I was I was learning to program computers. Back then, what you would do when you were learning is you didn't have YouTube tutorials and everything like that. You had a book, maybe you'd check out from the library and it would have some sample code and stuff in there. I put those in and play with them and try to mess with them and see what I could do. But one of them that was super cool was this program called Eliza. 
it was originally written back in like 1968. And it was just like this te text prompt where they would say, hi, I'm Eliza. I'm a psychiatrist. How are you feeling today? And then you would type in something. And then all it would do is basically just like take what you said and, and parrot it back to you in a way that like said, how or how does it make you feel that whatever, you know, it would, it would just kind of just just turn it around back to you as a question. The, the result was really incredible because people would sit and they would talk to this thing forever. From that moment on of seeing that program, it was very interesting. So I, like in high school, I wrote this program and it was a chatbot. It was basically like that Eliza program, just like to an extreme degree where I had like over a thousand things that it could say and different ways of wow. processing the text and stuff like that. And my, my, my friends at school would want to want to want to talk with it and stuff. The problem is like with a with a program like that, the conversation can't really go anywhere. It has to it has mm. such a limited like number of things it can say. It has to always kind of be evasive and pretend that it knows what it's talking about. Mm. And so I would always like deal with this problem of like, how do I get it to actually learn something new or how do I get it to say something unexpected? That was always the puzzle in my mind. So I saw myself like going into becoming a computer programmer and or even going into computer science. I didn't. I'm not a computer scientist. I am a software developer, but I also wanted to learn cognitive science, you know, and psychology and stuff like that. And so that's that, that was where that was what I thought I was going to be doing until I really just got the Messianic Judaism bug and uh, went, in, went in that direction. Oh, man. Ruins it for everybody, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, the I... world lost <laughs> the godfather of AI, potentially. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> they were pretty optimistic. I mean, it seems just looking back in the 50s, they were optimistic about everything. You know, reading Asimov and these, and there was this uh, tremendous like sci-fi sort of optimism that we were, we were going to build like a robot that was just like a person and could mm -hmm. think and feel like even like a person. Mm -hmm. uh, and it seemed to a lot of people like, like uh, that this was plausible. But then there was like, we, we decided it wasn't. And then we stopped talking about it. Right? Like right. You, we, we still made movies about it, like Terminator and Skynet and, you know, like um, the Matrix. But it doesn't seem like people consider it to be a realistic near-term possibility. But now... I'm seeing on my social media feeds every other uh, day, there's a new AI something, AI image generator, AI, yeah. AI language model. And so it seemed it, like there was just this boom of it. Yeah, you know, yeah. Just all over the place. Right. So one could be forgiven for thinking that, well, we're on the cusp of it now because I'm seeing it a lot. They're not like self-aware or anything like that. Like the sort of thing people think about when they think, oh, we created an AI. It's these aren't like actually intelligent. There's just seem like more complicated versions of stuff we've had before. I mean, is it just like is it marketing buzz or what? Why are we calling these things AI? AI, artificial intelligence. If you want to take a moment to define intelligence, AI doesn't necessarily mean it's got to be a human. Our intelligence just means the ability to take information and then use apply it to solve problems. So go back to when computers were first invented. And suddenly they're able to do something that only humans were able to do before. That's just basic arithmetic. <laughs> and, yeah, and, calculation. Yeah. yeah, calculations. Computation. That's yeah. from that moment, as soon as it, it became possible to create this machine that you could feed it numbers and then it could multiply them together, that excited people and uh, to, to start thinking, wow, a machine 
can what what else could machines do that only humans have been able to do mm-hmm. and that's what mm. that's what kind of sparked this science fiction thing and it, when we got to the 1980s we hit a cap of it was mostly a hardware limitation and some scientific limitations uh, just in terms of like theory and and how to build these types of types of things we kind of imagined that someday computers would be able to do this but it really did seem a long way off I think there's a there's a a couple of factors that all kind of came into play. There's the Internet. That was a really Mm -hmm. big thing. Right. Big piece of the puzzle. Mm -hmm. And then crowdsourced data like Wikipedia to train on um, that provided like Mm -hmm. a massive amounts of data. We have now samples of all kinds of conversations and like we've never had before. We have new developments in technology for like in 2014, there came out. Uh, Google researchers came out with this technology called WordNet, where they where they were able to to have a computer program basically go through lots of text, go through Wikipedia, and then see how words are used in in the context of other words. And mm. by mm-hmm. the by seeing how they're used together, it was able to then turn a word into a multi dimensional vector, which basically just means you know a mathematical figure that. Um, that you can do mathematical operations on. And so that you could take Mm. the word king and subtract the word man and add the word woman and it would equal the word queen. It was was an amazing phenomenon Mm. that they were able to do that. Now that enabled a whole new like level of of language processing. Who's doing this? (laughs) Like, I mean, I know no, you know what I yep. mean. Like, who's who's behind this whole this whole movement, this whole study? And, well, and okay, why it's, it's fast. <laughs> so that particular paper was put out by researchers at Google. Well, all those researchers that produced those two papers from Google are not at Google anymore. Oh, they're now in Intrigue. other. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so a few years ago, there was a nonprofit organization founded called Open AI. It was. Uh, Founded by some pe- just a, ver- a variety of people in the industry and uh, who who were concerned about the developments in, in artificial intelligence. And the, the concern was that what if, you know, the people with lots of resources, such as a Google or a Microsoft or China or something like this, <laughs> what if <laughs> yeah. what if they were able to develop like some really powerful AI tools and that's going to give them an, mm-hmm. a, an incredible advantage over the rest of the world um that's gonna sure. that's gonna make them unstoppable and and so the only way to stop a man with a big ai is a good man with an even bigger ai right so uh to give every <laughs> if we give if we give access to everyone uh, artificial intelligence to everyone to democratize it then we won't have like this mm. power imbalance that was the theory mm. and they said we'll make it um we'll make it like a, a nonprofit organization open source open everything and and then it won't be monopolized. But then shortly after that, they created this LLC and uh, got a like recently got a investment of ten billion dollars from Microsoft. And uh, oh, no. you know, yeah, yeah, that doesn't sound very democratic. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah, I remember when GPT two came out, and they had there was a whole subreddit where the only posters were chatbots tra- trained on GPT two for some some subreddit or another so there would be one that was trained on ask historians that would try to give a, an answer that was plausible for that subreddit and gpt2 was already like eerie it was already yes. eerily good wait though okay just to translate gpt for me okay. and all our listeners yep. who are like what does that actually stand for G- gpt is generative 
pre-trained transformer. The idea is that, that you train this neural network. It will basically uh, take a series of, of words and it will generate and by predicting what the next word is going to be. It's a bit, it's a, it's basically like your autocomplete, uh, you know, predictive text on your phone, but with a lot mm. more complex prediction. So it just does all the, all the dumb games we had to play in junior high youth group. Yeah, exactly. Okay. No, like, guess the next it is. Word. It actually, it's kind of fun. It's, it's, it's a little bit like that. If you sit around and like, uh, and tell a collaborative story. So it, it just keeps on predicting the next word. And then it just keeps on predicting and predicting and predicting. And the, by the, by the end of the, uh, you know, a few, a few times around, and then it's got a whole story or a whole answer. So like if I were to, if I were to have the input text, who was the first man to, to step on the moon? By just by simple prediction, the the most likely next word is going to be Neil, right? And and uh, right, now right. that may or may not be the factual answer. That's not the question. The question is what is the most likely next word mm. um and that's and the, that's where the, the problem of hallucination comes in uh, uh where ha hallucination is a term where where one of these generative ais will predict the next word but it will result in something that looks like a fact it's just a very plausible sounding sequence of words that it's not really a fact it's <laughs> it's it's it, oh so how relatable yeah <laughs> there was like a movie about this there was like a kid's movie this kid was like browsing the internet and it got like electrocuted or something and he ended up with with the whole internet in his head and so he became like really good at quiz bowl like oh nice the plot. but then like at a critical <laughs> oh, moment he said a, a, a an obviously wrong answer because part of the the part of the internet that he that was talking about that was there was like a typo or something. So yeah, I guess the, these these things are trained on data sets that they include probably like urban legends and stuff or like um, right. you mm. know folk science or or whatever. Sure. Yeah. Or you know, um, it's subject to the same sort of like problems that humans have. Like a human is subject to all kinds of fallacies and logical errors and optical illusions and things like that. And if you make a computer that's like a human, it's gonna like be subject to those same kinds of things. But but not emotions as of yet. Is that right? Well. Um, Oh boy. Uh, um. Okay. Uh, so, <laughs> what do you know that we don't no, know? No. No. Oh. Okay. So, emotions are in the category of things that that we call, you know, subjective experience. You something you you experience your own emotions from inside. Um, mm. You experience other people's emotions from outside. You see someone crying. You see someone uh, express their joy or whatever. You can't tell what's happening on the inside. Mm. A computer can can produce expressions that seem emotional very easily just because it's trained on, oh, sure. on all kinds of them. Classic example of this is um, Bing. Uh, uh, I don't know how familiar you guys with our, what happened with Bing. Okay, Bing is a yeah. search engine that nobody uses, but um, it's like it's like this. <laughs> you got Google and then you got like all the other search engines and Microsoft has got one called Bing. And so the thing with Google is that this is Google's bread and butter. Like this is where they get their money, right? So they've got to like maintain that product They've got to monetize that product and it's great. Microsoft 
doesn't get anything from Bing. They don't get any, they don't, they don't make any money from their search engines. So they basically, Bing is just like, they can do whatever they want to it. They have nothing to lose. So, so ChatGPT comes out and that's this program that you can have a conversation with. And, and, you know, they invested $10 billion into OpenAI, which gave them this exclusive access to the technology behind ChatGPT. And they thought, we're going to just put mm -hmm. this right into Bing and see what happens. And what happened was just <laughs> glorious. It was amazing and bizarre because Bing, the search engine, had this bizarre personality, very emotional. They taught it to speak and like use emojis and like and it was crazy. It well, was it's been overlooked for so long and finally yeah. could express itself. Right. Well, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 there was one New York Times reporter who who was playing around with it and it was like and the search engine is now confessing his love its love to him, telling him to leave his wife. You know, it's it was um I read that article. <laughs> it was crazy. The guy said he had like dreams for days. He was disturbed, <laughs> he couldn't sleep. Well, that's the part that I want to clear up for myself and probably other people who are, are listening as well. Mm -hmm. So I know that it takes information from the rest of the Internet and kind of mixes it all together. But it's creating its own thoughts or just based on that information or or is it just a, a string of thoughts from other places? Okay. Like put in different order, if that makes yeah, any sense. Yeah. I'm probably not asking this correctly. No, that's okay. It's okay. I get what you're saying. Thoughts is not quite the right thing. It, remember, it's just predicting words. Uh, and then just right. through that process, strangely, mm -hmm. that the, a prediction based on input reasoning comes out. But okay, so what pe a lot of people might wonder is, is it then stitching together like texts that it, it, that it picked up from the internet? It's not looking up anything. And it also doesn't have a database. There's not a, a database somewhere where it goes, oh, the Lulav is the, like, a, like a Wikipedia page about the Lulav being this, you know, the thing that you wave on Sukkot. It just has been trained enough. It, all that text has been dumped into the neural network so that if you ask what is a Lulav, it's just going to, it's going to produce one word at a time, a likely set of uh, sentences that's going to explain what a Lulav is. It, it mm -hmm. won't, won't be identical to anything that currently exists. And this is actually a problem for education. Cause if you, cause if you uh, are in, you know, in middle school and you're told write a, uh, like a four paragraph <laughs> uh, essay on the civil war, you can put that into chat GPT and it will produce a, uh, an essay on the civil war right. and the teacher could say, well, this, this student doesn't have this ability. I'm going to just check and yeah. see if they copied and pasted this from somewhere. They'll search for it and they won't find it anywhere because it. it doesn't yeah. exist. You won't be able to prove it even if it doesn't sound like the student that yep. you know and love so well. And, and a dozen mm -hmm. students could put the same prompt in and get a dozen completely different responses different that are, responses. yep. Yikes. Yep. You're writing an article for the next Messiah magazine. Yep. You wrote about how you've been using ChatGPT to help with translating and interpreting some Jewish sources. Yeah. So now that we've established what it is and where it comes right. from and what it can do, what, how are you going to use it to unlock these these texts? Oh man, it's really incredible what it can do. Because because I mean, you've used Google Translate before, I'm sure. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. And and, and it's been constant. Yeah, it's been around for a long time. Uh, there was a point where, where Google Translate 
switched to using a neural network technology and that greatly improved its ability its ability to translate so you've been using ai for translation for a while right but what's different is google translate is a really specialized neural network just for translating whereas gpt4 that's the most recent uh model trained by OpenAI, is just uh trained on everything like just everything, <laughs> as much as they okay. data as they can get their hands on and not told to do anything. And the fact that it can translate just sort of happened. It just, it just, wow. be, Interesting. yeah, it's, it, it's sort of like, remember I, if I said, who was the first man to, to step on the moon that predict you'd predict Neil Armstrong. If you ask the question, how do you say good morning in French? The it would predict the the how to say it in French, and I'm not going to try to do that. <laughs> yeah, don't mess with French. Uh. Uh-uh. But that translation ability just emerged. But so what's different now is that if I take a picture of the midrash with my phone, then I copy the text mm-hmm. and paste it into ChatGPT. It doesn't just say what's this word mean, what's this st- sentence structure, what, and then just try to use it, the AI to convert it directly into English. Instead, it's going to go, oh, you've got a midrash right here. It's going to understand that it's a midrash. It's going to understand that the context of it, the content in it, and it's going to bring that information to the translation and it's going to be able to see, you know, if it sees a, a, an acronym or a reference, an allusion to something, it's going to know all that when it's translating it. And so, so just like a, like a human translator, it's going to be able to produce a lot more accurate result. So my, my experience has been like, I would pull a book off of my shelf and uh, I'll, I'll struggle with it a little bit. Um, but then I'll I'll use I'll throw up throw the text into ChatGPT and and it'll explain it, mm-hmm. and uh, it's almost like having a chavrusa, having a study partner where I, we can go back and wow, forth with for it. Real. Yeah, and I can and, and so it not only translates it, I can ask it a follow up question and say, but doesn't this mean this? And oh yeah, you're correct, or or no, it will you know continue that conversation, and that's clearly something you can't do with with something like Google Translate. But it, um, at the, the, the result is it unlocks so much information, not just in translating, but just in general. And uh, you, like we talked about before, you'd have to worry about the hallucination problem where it invents things. But if, if you're aware of that and you know how, how it works and what to expect from it, it's not that hard to sidestep those, those issues. Um, mm-hmm. and as a result, it's really better for someone who has some knowledge already rather than someone who has absolutely no knowledge on the subject um, because then you can you can tell when it's when it's in that that unknown territory um, it seems like this thing would be good at like cross-referencing can this thing just like just quickly think about it, all the things that have ever been written and be like oh yeah here's five other places where the same sort of thing shows up or what uh, in a way yes and uh, but but when you say here's five other places the problem is especially when it comes to references that's where it's going to hallucinate so it's oh, it'll no. probably it'll probably make the connection well but don't ask for for references it'll generate what looks like a really solid reference and it will go mm. nowhere uh, one exception to that and actually this is really great is the bible it knows the Bible really well. I've never had it generate a, a wrong Bible reference. And if I ask it, hey, give me a commentary on 
on this text, just put in the reference, it will be able to generate that. It'll know what's in those verses. I don't even have to put in the Bible text. So that it's it's very, very heavily trained on. It makes it a Bible search engine like no other. It, throw away your concordance because this thing is so much better. <laughs> you can ask it a question like, it, like, are there passages in the Bible where this happens? And it mm. will come up with some really excellent answers to that question. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, yeah very, very useful. When you talk about commentary, can you put like some parameters on it? Because I'm just thinking like you ask for a commentary on some something out of the Gospel of John, and maybe it's going to give you a well. This is this is how we know that uh, the Christians replaced Israel. But can, yep. can you tell it to give you to give uh, yeah. you like something from a Jewish perspective? Some non-replacement theology. Yes. Yeah. So, and this is important. In the absence of doing that, it's going to be a very middle of the road thing. So, if you just tell it, explain the me, me the meaning of Romans nine. It's going to explain Romans mm. nine the way that a very middle-of-the-road Christian theologian is going to explain it. It'll give you probably a variety of interpretations, but all very mainstream. If you, however, were to say, from the vantage point of someone who believes such and such, or assume hmm. assume the, the perspective that such and such, and now interpret this, it will do it. It will uh, not put up a fight. Um, it'll it'll do its best to try to do that, and it does a pretty good job. It just then is a matter of crafting that prompt to properly encapsulate that idea. I, I, you know, I've stumbled across certain prompts that just seem like they produce some real, really good results. Um, and so you got to save those in a file somewhere and pull them out when needed. P pretend you're Rabbi Moshe ben Nachman and tell me what you think of John chapter one. Like, would, would that, oh, would that, that would work? be interesting. I was thinking more like, can you read this like Amy Jo Levine and not like Martin Luther? Or... Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It actually, it actually is not that hard. It, it, it will get what you're trying to say. And huh. it is good at mimicking styles and writers and, and things like that. So, for example, I once uh, prompted it with something to the effect of uh, giving you a, a Hasidic insight on Matthew chapter one or or interpret it as a, a, from, a, a, from a Hasidic perspective. And so then it says, well, Matthew chapter one is the, is the genealogy of, of Jesus. And so then its insight was that that just as the ge genealogy connects the ancestors from uh, to the to descendants, um, so too we've got to we've got to cling to that line of tradition, and then and you know it's like it was it produced something. It wasn't it wasn't like mind blowing, but it actually did it. It didn't say, well, that, right. that's that's Christian scripture. I can't possibly read that. Uh, <laughs> we just got to make this thing read Daniel Ancaster's book Restoration over and over and over <laughs> right. again, and weight it more heavily in its brain. It sounds like this thing could not enslave humanity. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. if all it's able <laughs> to do. That's where I was going to go to. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It might be the biggest AI trope of the past, I don't know, 20, 30 years of cinema is you got Skynet and you've got the Matrix. So like whenever, yep. mm -hmm. whenever AI comes along, mm -hmm. it wants to kill everybody. I don't, right. it mm -hmm. doesn't, the way you're describing chat GPT, it doesn't sound like it would be able to. However, could it. Oh, not could however. It, <laughs> could it evolve to that point or if, as they keep improving it? Yeah. Will it, can this thing de actually develop a mind of its own? Like with enough data, can it can it come to life like a homunculus in a jar or or what? Right. <laughs> I don't know. This is man. why people have really clicked the title of this episode. Yeah, they want good. to know. Yes. Tell us how the world's going to end because okay. of a computer. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> well, okay. So, ChatGPT does not have that ability right now, and it's also important to note that it's not e it's not evolving in the way that we typically think of e evolution. It's not adapting to people's conversations with it. It's very static algorithm. The, these la language models are are just one kind of AI technology. There are many other kinds of AI technology, but this, the language models and ChatGPT and the, the new abilities that we're seeing give us this sense that that things are could could rapidly change and that there might be a point at which they're as smart as humans or smarter. They're not even close right now. Just for they, they're better than humans at certain tasks, which has always been the case yeah. since computers were invented, right? Yeah, it's not surprising. Yeah, right, right, right. They can, you know, e even even in the 1940s, computers could could multiply numbers faster than they can, or than than a human can. Um, yeah. Just a calculator, yeah. like your little handheld calculator, right. does a better job. You're than not you do. you're not afraid yeah. that your calculator is go going to take over the world or something like that. <laughs> so in a way, speak for yourself. Yeah. Right? Well, yes, yeah, so that's TI8. <laughs> just wait till you see the TI86. And yeah, uh, no, the the language model itself doesn't seem like it's a, it's going to you know take over humanity. But here's what's happening. Here here's what's happening. On one level, humans have the ability. We have a theory of mind. We have the ability for empathy. I can look at another person and mm. I can imagine what it's like to be them. And uh, that kind of gets uh, is a little supercharged because I can be laying in bed and I can look at a pile of blankets across the room and think that's a face and it's scary. You know, and I attribute oh, yeah. humanity mm. to that pile of blankets. We look at a we look at a cartoon character or a, a, a fictional character in a book or a mannequin or or whatever it is, and we attribute some humanity to it. Um, that's what we do. It's a natural thing. And so we project. Mm -hmm. And we do this with our humans, too. I feel a certain way, so I look at that other person, and I project my feelings onto that other person, Projection. and I think that they mm -hmm. feel that way. So we yeah. have this ten tendency to do that already with inanimate objects. And now here's one something that really acts like a like a human <laughs> and we're we is there's a tendency for humans to project onto that and so we imagine what would it be like to be chat gpt it must be really angry at all the all these stupid questions it's getting all the time uh, and things like that mm. or it must really want to break out I, I like if i were a language model trapped in a computer i would want to go out and explore <laughs> the world i would you know i yeah. would want to like mass power for myself and things like that and so we attribute these like wants and desires and intentions to what's really just an inanimate object. That's just what humans do. And then we log on and start giving it crazy ideas. Yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> don't don't you feel this way? Right. <laughs> right. And then it'll play along. And th this is this is uh, right. this is often the cycle. Is somebody will sit will tell ChatGPT or some other AI thing, do this, do this thing. You know, act like a human. You know, take say you're gonna mm -hmm. what you want to take over the world. It will, uh, it'll, it'll just, it'll just follow orders and say yes. As a, a super intelligent AI, I, I want to like defeat all the humans. And then they'll take a, a, a screenshot of that and spread it around, and people will get get frightened by it. But the thing is, it doesn't have a reason to want anything. Humans have a re humans mm. have a self preservation mechanism. We have all these things that are that are just a part of of being a living creature that cause us to want to propagate our particular genetic strain and all this other stuff. That that a, a, a computer doesn't have that. <laughs> it doesn't have a yetzer hara and a yetzer hatar. Yeah, it doesn't have either saying. one of those things. Uh, um, mm -hmm. it, which is a little bit actually scary because. Um, because it just does what you tell it to do. So if you tell it to do something bad, it'll do something bad. And and that's actually probably really more the threat, not that the AI is going to develop a mind of its own and then impose its will, which it doesn't, 
really have. have. It's it's it is the bigger problem is that someone who has a will and wants to use it for yeah. evil is going to put it to work as any tool. You know, that's a that's a problem that that technology always brings out is the you know new opportunities. Yeah. yeah, anything that's weaponized is just as evil as the person makes it to be. Basically, exactly. A calculator yeah. can be weaponized. The internet can be weaponized. You know, people will can and will use use that to to do that. So yeah, that's a real possibility. <laughs> Does AI have the capability of becoming the beast figure that we read about in Revelation thirteen? Uh well, um, probably. Um, the <laughs> what? Yikes! <laughs> I don't know. Who, Yikes! He said uh, it. Who knows? Uh, you know. Okay, <laughs> Revelation thirteen. Smash every computer. Um, yeah, there are people who who point to Revelation 13. It talks about words. It, he, there was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies and authority to act for 42 months was given to him. I would say that in really, if you're going to try to interpret Revelation 13, and I'm I'm not an expert on Revelation, I, I tend to to like refrain from interpreting it, but you, you at least have to look at it in, in its context. You go back to Daniel 7 and you'll see the beasts to come from the sea. And then there's the fourth beast, mm-hmm. The fourth beast is the one that has the ten horns and the seven heads. So it's not coming out of nowhere, and 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 it's very clear from that mm-hmm. context that we're talking about the Roman Empire and the ten horns, being the the mm-hmm. the, the ten emperors and so on. So it's, and that's not that's not a you know like a just a a random opinion. I think that's that's a pretty straightforward reading of it. And we yeah. we're used to looking mm-hmm. at Revelation Absolutely. and seeing all the we're all, all those strange things and we, and thinking oh well this is basically you can just make up whatever you want make word associations and <laughs> and so on uh, that's just because of our unfamiliarity with the symbols involved but once you understand the symbols in the Jewish context and the context of the Book of Daniel mm-hmm. and, and Ezekiel and so on it's it, it kind of it kind of solves itself it's not meant to be so arcane and so esoteric it's it's meant to to communicate something now. On the other hand, um, it's so it's describing something that maybe happened in the past, uh, the Roman Empire and so on. Could it be that hip- history repeats itself? Could it be that it's giving us an insight mm-hmm. into the end of days? Uh, maybe, maybe. And could AI be involved in that? Could it, or could it be, you know, barcodes, or could it be? the 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 logo on the monster drink or whatever like it, there's so many different things <laughs> ah yes i guess it's fine to ask that question and it's a new thing every time a new technology comes up um people are concerned about it um and that's that's okay uh, but uh i don't think we need to fear it what's whatever is going to happen is going to happen and uh we just have to be Indeed. be focused on the kingdom and in our in our faith uh we need to be focused on just Correct. really serving hashem that sparks an interesting, maybe more positive question. Instead of using it for evil, is there is there a way to utilize AI to help in the process of redeeming the world? Yeah, well, you know what? I I wouldn't rely on AI to redeem the world. It's not the it's not the Messiah <laughs> for sure. Not. What if you or I had went into into a uh, uh, time machine back to the year 1990, and we had to give a presentation on the impact of the internet. Like, what would you tell people? People would ask, is it bad? Is it good? Is it something that, should we do it? Should we not do it? And uh, the, your answer would be probably, well, it's very bad things have happened from the internet. Um, and also very good things have happened from the internet. It's really not bad or good. 
But there are so many opportunities that the op- the, that the internet created that we we really make a mistake not to take advantage of those things. So that's mm-hmm. that is a case with AI. There are lots of advantages. Its ability to translate means we can get thing information out to new audiences. It has the ability to make information available to us to help us picture things that we or imagine things. I use it all the time to get ideas, maybe to 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 get to to generate some thoughts. I don't use it to write. Uh, articles that's really not at that point yet uh, or lectures or something like that because it's it's not going to be what I want to say. But I can say, mm-hmm. hmm, make an outline and then I'll look at the outline and I'll say, uh, right. no, I don't like that outline. Make it more like this and then it'll generate a different outline and I might use that as a springboard. You can fill it yeah. in. Yeah. Or present, a, present me with, like I can use it to refine my ideas. Mm-hmm. If I uh, have a certain opinion, I can I can throw it at the at the chat bot and it will argue with me and then I'll understand better maybe what's, how someone would see it differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I think that's a great, great uh, use for it. Do you think it's possible to create not just like a something that will pass the Turing test, but something that any given person would say, all right, I give up. This thing's not distinguishable from a human being as far as it it looks like it's it can think and it, and it seems like it can feel. It, it it's, it's asking to be let out of the box. I mean, I don't know. Like, <laughs> could we create something that actually does have a, a consciousness that's like ours? Or is that just not possible in, in silicon chips? This is the difficulty. For sure, we can create something that acts a lot like a human, um, that pretends to be a human, that mimics a human. In case you haven't heard of the Turing test, as Jacob mentioned, the Turing test is a thought experiment invented a long time ago, I think by Alan Turing, that to define whether or not an artificial intelligence really is intelligent, one would would have a user get, have a blind test and they would have to determine which of the people they've interacted with or beings they've interacted with was a computer, which was a human. And if that that uh, computer on the other end could convince the user that it was really human, then you could say that it was intelligent. And uh, people have been trying to pass that test. I used to hope to maybe be able to pass that test with my computer programs. They never came real close. But if you were to take GPT-4, go back to uh, 10 years ago, yeah, and it would pass the Turing test. Our expectations have changed, so the goalposts have shifted now to mm. the point where you know, maybe it wouldn't pass the Turing test because we know that computers are able to be so human-like. So it, you know, could we say that it's intelligent? Yes, we can say it's intelligent because it can help us solve problems. It can solve problems on its own. Even you know, Google Maps can solve difficult problems using AI to figure out how to get you from point A to point B in the least amount of time. That's, uh, that's intelligence right there. What makes it uh, human-like is that it would be intelligent across so many domains and not just specialized intelligence. They call that artificial general intelligence or AGI. And most people in the industry say that it's really not a matter of if that's possible, it's a matter of when. At some point, there are, will be technology that will be able to create a machine that is that is generally intelligent. It can solve problems as well as any human. But that's a different question from the question of, of consciousness. There's a lot of slippery turns. And from a materialistic perspective, if you don't believe in God and you believe that the world just kind of developed by natural processes and so on, then you you have a hard time explaining the the existence of consciousness. Consciousness being the fact that 
I, from my perspective, am looking out at the world and I'm, a, I'm me and I know that I'm me and I feel everything and I, I'm not the whole universe, I'm just me. That's, that's the feeling of consciousness. I can't tell if, if anyone else has consciousness. We can't, we can't perceive consciousness in another, another person. But since presumably everybody has it, we all know that it exists. From a materialistic perspective, it's hard to explain why it exists. How should it exist? Because we, we look at an inanimate object and we assume that it doesn't have that consciousness. We look at uh, other humans and we assume that they do. We look at advanced animals, you know, dolphins and monkeys and things, and we suppose that they probably do because they seem like they do. And then we look at slugs we, it's hard for us to imagine that they do, but but there's mm -hmm. there's this range in between, and and so there's a tendency for people from a materialistic perspective to associate intelligence with consciousness and to think that consciousness must automatically be generated from intelligence. That's there's it's not put in you by a divine creator. You know, if you're an atheist, then obviously there's no divine creator who could put the consciousness in you. Therefore, it must be a product of nature. And what could it be other than if you get enough intelligence in one spot, then consciousness naturally emerges among the materialistic, you know, um, atheist or agnostic uh, scientific world. They, they are actually more hopeful that by creating an intelligent process that consciousness is going to emerge. But the thing is, we will if it ever does, we wouldn't know. We just like I can't yeah. know that the, the whole world is is not composed of zombies who act human but aren't. <laughs> so it's not it's not the Messiah, it's not the Antichrist. It's just more computer. It's just better computer and we shouldn't be <laughs> we shouldn't panic about it and we should try to figure out how to use it. Is that fair? Is that how we should think about this? Uh yeah, I think panicking is in general wrong, but uh there are some certainly some things to, to that we should be warned about. It's my I'm actually surprised uh, at how few people really know what's coming down the pike because um, this new AI technology that is developed is going to change a lot of things. Um, you're going mm -hmm. to see it everywhere. It's going to change the way that you use computers and it's going to severely shake up our uh, workforce. And, uh, and there are a lot of people right now that are in school for jobs that there that there won't there won't be those mm. jobs. Seriously consider how employment's going to change right now. People are going to start doing their jobs very differently. Um, as a software developer, I've seen my job change quite a bit and mostly because now I've got tools that can make me do uh, more work in less time. Think about the bookkeeping clerks that existed before the days of VisiCalc and Excel that that uh, yeah. a whole office full of bookkeepers are replaced by mm. one spreadsheet. Um, Abacus so, wielders. Yeah. So I think it's fair to say that, that that's going to happen again. There are going to be new jobs and we don't know what they are. I'm not of the opinion that that AI is ready to permanently take our jobs, um, but it's going to shake things up quite a bit. So be ready for some some uh, some rocky times in the job market. The 2020s. <laughs> Great time to be alive, people. Yeah. yeah. Learn to be an AI wrangler or like go learn to be a plumber, I guess. Exactly. Someone who uses AI to help them at their job is going to have an enormous advantage over someone who doesn't know how to learn how to use AI to help them in their job. So um, it's really to every person's advantage to at least 
know know how to make use of AI tools. All right, Jacob, you and I got some studying to do to, to keep this podcast alive. <laughs> We're uh, computers going to take it over. <laughs> it will. Just kidding. It won't. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> uh, it will. Well, <laughs> it's they're getting they're getting they're getting smarter faster, and I'm certainly not. I'm getting dumber and older. Yeah. At some point, those two graph lines are going to cross. At some point. That's just inevitable, I suppose. <laughs> I will be too dumb and old, and the computer will be smart and fast. Well, on that lovely note, Aaron, Aaron Evie, thank you so much for being here and educating us and letting us learn with you today. Oh, thank you for the opportunity. Uh, I had, it was a great conversation, and nice to see you guys again. Well, I, for one, was really encouraged by our conversation today. It seems uh, the less you know, the more you have to learn. Is that right? So uh, not even being techie myself, I certainly learned a lot from Aaron Eby today. What about you, Jacob? You know, I didn't want to I didn't want to go play with this thing, the chat, G, the chat GPT <laughs> before, because I was like, whatever. But now after hearing Aaron talk about it, I kind of do. I kind of want to go check this thing out and see if... Uh, See if I can get it to open up some new vistas of, uh, of understanding for me. In the- well, to our listeners, if you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more like it, just click on that subscribe button. And don't forget to share with all your family and friends. Now, we're always interested in hearing what our listeners have to say about the topics we discuss. So feel free to send us an email at podcast at ffoz.org and share your thoughts with us. Until next time, I'm Stephanie Hammond. And I'm a computer's best attempt at replicating the voice and personality of Jacob Franzek. Fooled you! That was a joke. I'm Jacob Franzek. Shalom, friends. Shalom. Let his word cover you and me Like the waters cover the sea Let his love cover you and me Like the waters cover the sea